James, a.k.a. BCP here. Family big hug for you. Want to play this for you. This is the entire hour and five minute speech of Tucker Carlson making his first public appearance in Oxford Thursday night. And that happened just a couple weeks after his separation from his show on Fox. He was in town as a guest speaker for the annual fundraising event for Rainbow Omega. I know it has a name Rainbow in it, but it actually is a faith-based nonprofit organization that provides vocational and residential programs to adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. He actually made this, he appreciates the work that this um, organization does. He actually was scheduled to do this way back in fall of last year. And the ticket sales were slow, but then the uh, venue sold out the 1,200 seats at the Oxford Performing Arts Center because of the controversy of his ousting from Fox. Anyhow, let me uh, play for you, uninterrupted, the first public appearance of Tucker Carlson since his ousting from Fox. Um, How about a man who really needs no introduction, Tucker Carlson. Yes. Um, it has amazing food. I have the world's worst eating habits, and here that's not judged. It's okay. And I love that. I love the lack of judgment, and um, and I think it's physically beautiful. I think the state of Alabama is just beautiful. Amen. Shift very slowly, and then you wake up in the morning, and everything's different. 
And yep. the rest of the country's view of Alabama is one of those things that just changed completely. Like nobody makes fun of Alabama at all. Like because they realized actually that's how you're supposed to be living. So just I thought it'd be sort of interesting to check it. I never did notice a check this morning. I was like, I wonder. The only way to really know what people think about something is to not listen to what they say. And I say that as someone who's talked for a living for a long time, ignore the words. Watch what they do. Watch how they live. Yep. That's the only accurate measure of what people really think. They spout these lives with, oh, everything else says it. Ignore that. Be like your dog, who understands not a single word of what you're saying, but knows exactly who you are. <laughs> and watch instead how they do. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to look at the population numbers in Alabama. Are people moving to Alabama? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Big time. And I love that. Why are they moving here? Well, they're moving here because Alabama is everything that you would want in a place that you live. It has cohesive communities, super nice people, gentle people, people who care about their neighbors. And it has an abundance of nature, something that we, I think, undervalue. Went through this weird kind of mass hypnosis where everyone was convinced we have to move to some horrifying concrete city in order to make a living and sort of forgot that actually you need to see green or else you go insane. Amen. If you get too alienated from God's creation, you become fundamentally alienated. Yeah. Nature is the most beautiful thing. Driving around here today, I thought to myself, when you think of Alabama, if you don't live in Alabama, as a sort of a place that has a lot of the past attached to it. And I thought today, and especially reading the numbers on what's happening in your state, that Alabama is not the past, Alabama is the future. Yep. And what a great sign that is. Anyway, so I, I, I love being here and I will be back. But the second and maybe primary reason I wanted to come to this especially, Rainbow Mega especially, is because I really, in a sincere way, support what they do, which is helping people, not in an abstract way, but in an actual way. And I went out to the campus today and was completely shocked by it, which is completely, I don't know how many of you have driven out there, but it's not far and you should go. It's just stunning in its beauty and in the vibe you feel when you're there. Now, admittedly, it is spring in Alabama, which is inherently pretty, but even by those standards, it's, it's a complete, first of all, it's the tidiest place I think I've ever been. <laughs> and that's meaningful to me. I believe in tidiness. I know nobody else does, and it's like totally fine to sort of feel like your lawn grow too long and, you know what I mean, not pull the garbage cans in after the trash man come, but I don't feel that way at all. I think if you care about something, you keep it tidy. And I think tidiness is an expression of concern, which is an expression of love. You know, if one of your kids goes to school with chocolate on his face, you know, you wipe your thumb and wipe it off because you love the child. You drive through the campus, and again, I just cannot recommend it more highly. Just literally drive through. And you see a place that's so well-tended that the unmistakable message is we care not just about the grounds, but about the people who live here. It's just beautiful. I mean, this is an institution with you know, 88 people living in it, but it does not feel like an institution at all. It feels like a little village in the middle of a farm. It's just incredible. And there greenhouses and blueberries. I had no idea blueberries grew this far south. I thought they only grew in Maine. Not true. <laughs> Berries, whatever those are, in abundance. I felt like a bear. You know? <laughs> I wanted to get out and chew on the bushes. Uh, but 
the thing that really, I won't forget, that really lightened my heart was seeing some people who lived there walking down the road. And at one point they came up and they were sort of standing, talking right in the middle of the road. And there were a pair of twins and, and another person. And I looked, at the, I looked at these people in their early 20s. And this girl turned to me and her face was so radiant. Ah, it made me emotional looking at her. And I thought to myself, this is a Christian institution. I am no theologian, whatever the opposite of the theologian is, that's me. But I thought, you know, I don't really understand a lot of this. God, God's on that person's side. God thinks a lot more of her than he thinks of me. That's the first thing I thought. And I mean it. There was something about this girl's face that just, again, radiated uh, love. And I, wow, what a beautiful moment that was for me. And how much did that say about what Rainbow Omega does? Not only was it not depressing, it was completely uplifting. And some of the kids who lived there were here tonight and talked to them. Remarkable. So why is that so important? Well, it's important because helping people is the core mission of life uh, for all of us. And it's the core duty that we have to one another to help. But it's the opposite kind of, of what you see in the rest of the country. I hate to say that I don't want to be depressing and I won't be and I'm not going to go on some long Jeremiah about how things are bad. I, I think you may have heard that already. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> when I got canned the other day, my wife was like, oh, this is not all bad. That was pretty depressing what you were saying. Yeah, I got it. Uh, maybe you should do a good news show. All right. Uh, <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's my wife's view. Amen. Um, no, but like, as we were driving through, I said to the, I'm not going to embarrass him, but the man who was taking me through, I said, it was so lonely, 300 acres, and just, just beautiful, just bucolic, pristine. And I said, and this just shows you what a lifetime of living in the Northeast does to your brain. I said, who did this? And I thought immediately there was some, you know, obviously a local billionaire, some retail billionaire who paid for this. Oh, the carpenter started it in 1990. Oh, okay. And I'm thinking, obviously billionaires of some kind. What did they do? Oh, he was a preacher. Really? Where did all the money come from? Well, just people, you know, who wanted to help. And they had a son with developmental disabilities, and he needed help, and they wanted to help other people as they helped him. And I said, well, who paid for it? Well, just people, you know, who kind of stepped up and did that. And I thought, that actually is the way things should work. Amen. I live in a world, it's true. I live in a world where... Where everyone just kind of sits around and waits for Mark Zuckerberg to show up and write a check. Yep. It's true. It's almost like a feudal arrangement. Where, like, if the feudal lord doesn't fix it, it just remains broken. And to hear that there was a couple living on a preacher's salary who had a problem and decided to solve it, and by solving it, solve the problem of so many other families, and then make a lifetime commitment to those kids. A lifetime commitment. Who makes a lifetime commitment? Like, to your wife? That's kind of it. But to say to someone you're not related to, yeah, I'm signing up for life. Your life, no matter how long you live. Wow. We're here for the duration. Who does that? Let's check. Nobody. But this preacher did that? 
with no money. And then people in the community stepped up because they so believed in it to fix it. And so that's, that's the model right there. That is what it looks like to help people. Amen. Now, I'm not attacking billionaires. I, mean, I, I guess there's some good people. I have them out of time. But I believe that there are because I think that there are all kinds of people and a lot of them are great people. But the model that we now sort of accept as normal where, you know, the economy kind of degrades and then you wait for this sort of lone ranger to show up and save everybody with some big check and some huge idea about how we're going to end malaria or stop the global warming or whatever. And I'm not even attacking that. I'm just saying, as we're worried about these big abstract problems in faraway places or saving the planet or claiming we can control the weather or whatever we're, we're claiming, there are kids with developmental disabilities who have aging parents and the parents are legit terrified about what happens when they pass. Yeah. Why wouldn't they be? I can't imagine a greater fear. I have four children and none of them have disabilities, but even I think, oh, you know, I gotta wait till they're all married to people I like. <laughs> is there a more human concern right. than that? I don't think there is. Is there anybody in this room who wouldn't be kind of ready to go if you thought your kids were set? I don't think there is. I think that's the most basic desire there is. To see the generations continue in stability and happiness. To know the ones you love are going to be okay. There is no greater concern than that. And anyone who's not answering that concern is not really focused on the core human problem. The core human problem is how are your children doing? Can, can anyone think of a bigger problem than that? I can. In, in actual, in real life, not in like, you know, nonprofit think tank life, where we sit and think about how to save the world. Okay, save the world, that's great. Ruts are rough, as they say. But in the meantime, like, what's gonna happen to your children? And so I think maybe that's the way you need to assess American politics, which is, after all, supposed to be designed to improve people's lives. Like, what's the point of it, actually? And I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been covering the, covering the news, or at least immersed in the news, or marinating in the news. I feel kind of soggy at this point. <laughs> you know, my whole life, I turned 54 in two weeks, and I've been doing this well, since 1991, so 32 years. And I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what the point of American politics is, honestly, because I'm not a super deep person. And I sort of accept that, you know, every two years there's a congressional election, every four years there's a presidential election, and then the parties sort of, you know, put forth their most ambitious members, and then they kind of attack each other a lot, and then somebody gets the nod, and then we have a big fight in November, and there's a new president. Okay, so you get very caught up in the details of all that stuff. But very rarely, maybe it takes getting fired, do you have a minute to sort of stand back and say, okay, what is the point of this exercise? We're spending billions of dollars, we're consuming the attention of 350 million Americans, but why are we doing that? So somebody can have power? That's not actually a worthy goal. You know, making a middle-aged man feel loved is not a good reason to have a presidential election, okay? It's just not. The point of the entire exercise should be to help people and primarily to help them help themselves. Amen. Because actually sending people stuff, if you treated your children the way the federal government treats our population, it'd all be what we have. It's yep. A, Amen. In a kind of patronizing and fanalizing way. Let me hold your hand. The world hates you. Everybody hates you. 
but I'm the only person who can save you. If you told that to your 13 year old, what would happen? I mean, that would be a true disaster. It would be yep. your fault. Yep. So if you want to help somebody, what does that look like? Well, you do your best to restore that person's self-respect, which only comes through achievement, right? You'd want to make that person as independent as you possibly could. This is not some right-wing talking point. It's just an observation about people that seems very obvious and it doesn't seem like a partisan point at all. It seems like one that any person, particularly any parent, who's actually watched human development over time, watch your kids grow, what's good for them, what's bad for them, it seems like we could, we could agree on that. And so I'm starting to think, I, I've thought for quite a while, but I'm starting to really believe that the divisions that we see in our society are pretty much manufactured, actually. Yeah. Yep. It's pretty much fake. I mean, I can say I've spent all these years on TV and like for the past, well, really since Obama's second term, the first term was all about how we're going to get past race and everyone, I didn't vote for the guy, of course, because I didn't agree with him. But everyone I knew was excited about that. And by the way, so was I. I mean, invite some, you know, elect some guy who I disagree with, but if we get to the point where we can all stop picking at the scab, and move forward as one country? I mean, I'm just for that, I'm sorry, why wouldn't I be for that? You know, as a Christian, I was totally for that. And the second term was like, oh no, actually, we're not post-racial, all we're gonna talk about is race and make people hate each other on the basis of race. And I was like, kind of bewildered by this, it's taken really all these years to figure out what that was. And we've never stopped talking about it ever since. Race, race, all about race. And I have to say, I don't travel a ton, but when I do, no one's ever come up to me and even mentioned race of any color. That doesn't seem, it seems like we may be overstating that. And, you know, as I have heard, I mean, I'm not on the internet at some but like, not everyone loves me. I don't want to freak you out or anything, but <laughs> there are some who are not completely sold. Fair. And by the way, that's fine. You know, you don't need to be. Um, you know, and some are like truly not sold, like just confirmed non fans. But in my real life, like flying on planes or, you know, going to CBS or whatever, going to the, you know, wherever you go, get a new hunting license, no one has ever come up to me and, like, attacked me on racial grounds. And I've never heard anybody else attack anybody else on racial grounds. Never, not one time. I just, maybe that exists. I don't know where it is. I don't think most Americans hate each other on the basis wow. of their ethnic differences. I just don't see that. And if you can tell me where that exists in this country, I mean, I'm willing to believe it, but I'd like to go there and see it for myself. I don't think that's the main dividing line, actually. No, I think, it's not. I, mean, I think there are divisions, right? Different people are suspicious of each other. That's whatever. That's just the human condition. But I don't think there's, like, widespread race hatred in the country that I've ever seen, not one time. I think a lot of it is just, it, it, it's a lie, actually. Yes. Designed to distract people. I'm sorry. That it's totally, I, I, you know what, I think it is manufactured by the media. I'll confess, I, you know, I haven't had a TV at that home in many, many years. Um, I feel ahead of the curve on that, to be totally honest with you. I didn't need to throw mine away, it didn't exist. Pretty great. Um, so a lot of my understanding of the media and of media coverage and story selection really comes from reading about it. I don't see it that much, but 
From what I can tell, the overwhelming majority of stories that news organizations cover have no bearing at all on people's lives. Like gas will jump by two bucks and they'll just kind of ignore it. What? You know, people I know really care what gas costs because they're not, I mean, that matters. Like you have to drive to work and stuff. And I think that's a huge story. If gas jumps dramatically, if inflation is you know, over 5% for a persistent period, real actual inflation, not CPI nonsense, but like the actual cost of things that you buy is rising faster than your wages, that seems like a huge story. What's bigger than that? If our country is approaching nuclear conflict with the world's you know, largest nuclear stockpile, why would we talk about that? Why would we talk about, why would we make, make up racial conflict that doesn't exist? And, okay, if you do that once or three times a year, maybe it's a mistake, maybe you're just stupid, most people maybe obviously are stupid, and they just, you know, just made a mistake. But if you're doing that every week for like 10 years, maybe there's a reason you're doing that. Is there a reason that you're not covering any of the stories that actually matter and instead focusing on the ones that are sure to inflame division? in your population? It can't be a mistake. I don't think I'm a conspiracy nut. I'm not gonna say a word about UFOs or the Kennedy assassination. I'm just gonna, <laughs> no, I could. <laughs> Epstein did not kill himself. Woo! That's all right. No, in fact, he did but whatever. Um, no, but I don't, I don't think you need to be a conspiracy nut to wonder like, what is that? Why are they not only not addressing the issues that matter, but they're kind of going out of their way to ignore them? And at first you think, well, it's because the people who, you know, decide what merits news coverage all live in like a very small number of coastal locations on the East Coast or in LA. And they just have such a different life experience from everybody else. They just don't know this is happening. Yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. They have no idea that the economy is sagging, really? How could you not know that? They have no idea that we're actively fighting Russia in a war? Like maybe you're for that, maybe you're not, but maybe we should talk about it, don't you think? Yeah. A war with nuclear power, like, worth mentioning, I think. But they go out of their way, and instead they're like, oh, by the way, you, you should hate him, and he should hate you back. And I just think that's, at some point, you have to call it what it is, which is lying. Yep. And lying with a very specific purpose, which is to avert your gaze to pull your attention away from the things that matter. That's not news coverage, that's, that's just kind of classic propaganda. Exactly. Yep. It's sort of scary if you think about it. And it's scary for a really simple reason. First of all, lying is always bad. It's always bad. Just lying by its nature, you know, it's, it's just, it's poison. And it hurts the person who does it and it harms the person who receives it. There's never a justification for it. There are excuses for it. I'm afraid of being exposed for who I really am. That's why people lie. But there's never a justification for it. It's never the right thing. And we, of course, we all do it. We're trying to hide from others who we really are because we're ashamed. I understand that. I have a lot of kids. And I always say to my kids, you know, if you think you're hiding something, we already know. <laughs> we already know. And that's true not just of your children, but the people that you know and love. People run around like, I hope nobody knows about whatever. Everybody knows. Yeah, you know, they can spell it on you. Like, it's true. Everybody knows. I tell my kids this all the time. Oh, you think you're hiding it, huh? No, you're not. Everybody knows. And they love you anyway. Yep. So you don't actually have to hide. 
who you are anymore. But if you're continuing to lie like that, and if the range of options for getting information is shrinking, not growing, then you have a huge, huge problem. And there are two main effects of this. The first effect is to kind of end democracy. You can't. The whole idea of democracy is based on the understanding that the people who vote will have some knowledge of what they're voting on, what the real issues are, that they'll be informed, they'll have an informed citizen. And that's why the First Amendment is not the Eighth Amendment. It's the First Amendment is the predicate for democracy. You can't have democracy without free information, freely moving information, without access to what the facts are. And we can argue about what the facts are, and because of the First Amendment, we don't really have to argue because we have a, an infinite range of perspectives available to us. No one has a monopoly on the truth. As soon as someone tells you, I have a monopoly on the truth and everything else is misinformation, that person is by, by definition lying. By definition. Years ago, I worked for an editor in, uh, in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, a wonderful man called Paul Greenberg, and I, I filed a piece and one, a sentence began, the truth is, and he, this was back when he like literally filed a piece of paper and go to his office and tray and send it back to you, the assistant manager. This was like people smoked in the elevators, then this was a long time. <laughs> <laughs> they actually stopped smoking in the elevators of the newspaper while I worked there, and my the guy who shared the desk was like, it's just tyranny. Tell me it's just tyranny. <laughs> And he said to me, so did, when did you come to believe you possessed the truth? I said, I don't know. I don't know. He said, if you, you, so you mistaken yourself for God then? You have the truth? The truth is you're telling your readers you know what the truth is? Uh, well, sir, I just, you know, I have to We're going to take that phrase out. Because it suggests hubris. It suggests that you believe that you possess something that no human being can possess, which is the absolute truth about something. That's unknowable. We're people. We're not God. I was like, whoa, okay. I was 23. I've been brooding on that you know, for the last 30 years. <laughs> but anybody who tells you that he possesses the truth is by definition lying to you. And that's why we have an unlimited variety of perspectives available to us. An unlimited variety, you know, amount of facts about what's happening in the world and what we believe will happen in the world available to us, the First Amendment guarantees that we need that in order to have democracy. Otherwise, it's not. You know, if you don't even know what the election is about, if you don't understand what the consequences of your vote could be, then why does it even matter if you vote? You're being controlled without even knowing you're being controlled. It's very insidious. But the second problem with living in a world where lying is the default setting of the news media, either explicit lying, just like telling you something that's provably untrue, or much more common, and I would say scarier, is just the exclusion of facts. So you'll read a story and it'll be factually true, in other words, a lawyer would sign off on it, but it leaves out the essence. Like there are things they're not telling you. So are they lying to you? Yes, they are. 
maybe not in a legal sense, but certainly in a deeper sense, they are mind you, they're misleading you. And the problem when you get that, that's always existed, nothing new under the sun, as you know. But when you get that at scale, in other words, when every outlet is doing that to you, what is the effect on the population? Well, of course, they're uninformed, but it also starts to drive people crazy. Start driving them crazy. You can't believe anything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very bewildering. That, that's actually a form of chaos, which is the one condition people just can't handle. Chaos. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's real. It's almost hallucinogenic. It's like Lucy in the sky with diamonds. <laughs> I'm serious. And that makes people insane mm-hmm. after a while. Like, you don't take anything at face value. And if you know if you know people who are politically engaged who are really interested in politics, you will have noticed in the past couple of years that very smart, educated, rational people all of a sudden are willing to entertain theories about things that would have seemed outlandish three years ago. These are the so-called conspiracy theorists we're told to be afraid of. In point of fact, the conspiracy theorists have a much better track record of accuracy than, say, the New York Times, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, but there are also cases where, I, and I have close friends like this, where, you know, if they're willing to believe things that seem, even to me, the most open-minded person you will ever meet, ever, I'm willing to believe anything if you can prove it. I've lived long enough that I know anything is possible because I've seen it. Even I'm like, that sounds a little far out, man. A little far out. But then I think to myself, don't judge. When everything is fake or feels fake, when you can't believe anybody in power, why wouldn't people reach those conclusions? I'm serious. Like, whose fault is that, actually? If they can't even tell you the truth about a communicable disease that's killing people, they're absolutely lying to you about that. Amen. And not, and, and, and not just lying to you, but lying to you with the knowledge that you must know that they're lying to you. That's the spooky part. It's, it's scary, kind of. It's scary. Like, they know that we know but they don't care, and they keep lying anyway. I went to the White House press secretary. This is this is a yep. This is unbelievable. You'd be like, oh, whatever her name is, dumb press secretary lady. This is, by the way, this is not like my crazed right wing opinion about it. This is just like watching the clips. I stand with my jaw open. I used to be in the White House briefing. I can have some memory of how this went during the Clinton years, for example, where you had a press screen where Mike McCurry, I didn't agree with him on anything, really, but I didn't think that he was patronizing me with his life. The Monica stuff, okay. Yeah, really, it didn't happen. <laughs> but, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I disapproved of that, of course, but it's like, I'm a man, like, they lie. I didn't think he was bending reality by telling me that Clinton didn't have a relationship with Monica and this guy so I was paid to lie. But a lot of it was just a, a matter of disagreement. He would say, well, here's the federal budget. This seems too big to me. And he's like, no, it's too big, and here's why. And so you have a sort of a rational conversation where there's a presumption that you weren't a total moron, that you weren't a farm animal, and that you had to be treated like a human being with respect, and they had to sort of win you over with facts. That was the bottom line 
That was the bottom line assumption, right? Now I watch this president's Presbyterian that's like, well, it's, you know, it's noon. No, it's not noon. No. <laughs> it's not at night. It's pretty dark out. People are cold. Oh, it's a sunny day in August. No, it's not. <laughs> it's the dark of night. And we're going to fix that with our climate policy. It kind of freaks me out. I mean, first I'm offended because, well, first of all, I'm a middle-aged man, and it's like, are you really patronizing me? Aren't you like 28? I mean, stop. <laughs> but even leaving aside my age and, you know, the grumpiness that comes with it, I'm on my <laughs> Sorry. It's true. Uh, leaving that aside, I'm like, what is this? This is not a briefing, actually. This is an expression of contempt. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is, I don't care. Yep. That's really what they're saying. This is a humiliation exercise designed to let you know that you have no power at all and they can tell you anything they want. That's right. Nothing you can do. Yep. I think that's really bad. And I think that's setting the stage for real division. I don't think you should ever talk to people like that. I don't talk to my dogs that way. They don't. And they're dogs. But I kind of try to reason with them. <laughs> I have to say, if you're eating dog food because you're a dog, <laughs> I would never speak to my children that way. Do you remember being nine and there was always some teacher who clearly had a super unhappy personal life? Yep. And you'd be like, man, I'm in the bathroom. This is so no. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> and at nine, you don't know what the word fascist means, obviously. <laughs> But you sense there's something really wrong with it. That's not an explanation, I'm sorry. Maybe when you're nine and she's an adult and holds all the power, like that's just not enough. And you really resent that. Did anyone remember that? Maybe you went to better school. Yep. I remember that very well. I remember thinking this is unjust. It's dehumanizing, actually. There's something dehumanizing about it. She's not treating me as a human being. And even at nine, I'm still a human being. That's the vibe I get. Not simply from the way I was briefing, which really is almost performance art. I mean, it's really, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's like unbelievable. But from the entire federal government, and honestly, from the leaders of both parties in Congress. I hate to say that. Yeah. Amen. And I don't, you know, I'm not voting for a lot of Democrats, obviously. Um, and I don't expect to anytime soon. However, so I mean, I, I don't vote a ton, but to the extent I have voted, because I'm working on election days, but. You know, I was voting for the Republican Party and everything, but I don't see a huge outcry from the Republicans. I'm not talking about individual members. There are a lot of really nice ones and some really good people, actually, particularly from this region, from the South. But the leadership, I get the same vibe from them. Yep. yep. Like, we don't care what you think, actually. What are you going to do about it? I'm sorry, you said I'm joining the now? I don't think you are. <laughs> you know, shut up, he explained. Um, and I think that's kind of terrifying. If you look, this here's a, an interesting exercise. If, you often hear the word populism batted around. Populism, populism. And, you know, it's hard to know exactly what that means, any of these political labels. Is that like Huey Long? Is that Hugo Chavez? Like, what is, what is that that you're talking about? And in this country at this time, what they call populism is pretty non-scary so far as I can tell. 
I haven't heard anybody calling for appropriating the land of anybody, imposing 100% tax rates on Bill Gates, but I'm open to that, but I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, not, not, um, that I would admit in public. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm for it, but whatever. <laughs> I think it's responsible. Um, but the populism that you know, there are only like four populist politicians in the country, but, and they're all reviled by everyone in charge, and they're so dangerous, and they're all Mussolini, and the next thing you know, they'll be council infiltration games. Uh, are they the ones who ran everyone during COVID and locked them down in their homes, kept the kids out? I don't think they are, actually. Um, but the populism that we see in this country right now is really, it's not even a demand, it's just a polite request that politicians sort of pretend to address the issues that people actually care about. That's really what it is. Yep. No one's calling for hurting anybody. It's just the opposite. In fact, the people who are hurting the population hate populism. But the populace at this point, this could all change, of course, because politics is fluid, and it does change, sometimes very abruptly. Um, but right now, it's just like, hey, guys, there are these problems. Can you just please, just for one second, take time out from whatever weird thing you're doing that has nothing to do with my life, and just like pay attention to me for one second? And the answer is not only no, but I think we may have to arrest you. <laughs> and so a pretty good way, and at the same time, we're arresting you because democracy. We're really supporting democracy. Democracy is what we care about. That freaks me out every time I say that, because of course it's exactly the opposite. Therefore, democracy, they, they perform a very simple exercise, which I just do occasionally to amuse myself. And that's just get public opinion polling, pick your polling firm, aggregate all of them together, doesn't matter, polling's done every day, by a bunch of different company, com companies on what Americans care about. And it's very straightforward. It's, this is not sophisticated stuff at all. It's like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. America, what do you care about? Just put your concerns in order. And they're always kind of the same. The economy, always number one. Crime, immigration. Those are the top three. And then compare those concerns to the concerns of the people leading the country. Are those their top three? Are they in the top 50? <laughs> in fact, not only are they not on the list, the opposites are on the list. It's like, I'm worried about the economy. Okay, we're going to print some more money and increase your inflation and just totally devalue US dollars like we're impoverished, and then we're going to take control of the digital currency. Is that what you're saying you want? Oh, it's the opposite? Okay, we're going to give you a, a double helping of what you don't want. <laughs> well, you think the country's changing so fast you don't recognize it, and maybe like you didn't sign up for that? Oh, we're going to let in 7 million people without asking for permission illegally, and they're just going to live here forever. Like, if you don't like it, you're racist, shut up. Huh? Crime? Yeah, I mean, my elderly mother's afraid to go to the grocery store. Okay, we're going to let everybody out of prison. And if they kill you, you can't defend yourself. Is that kind of what you're asking for? No, it's the opposite. Shut up. You're a dangerous extremist. Because <laughs> democracy. Oh, democracy. fantastic student, to put it mildly, that's why I went into journalism in the first place. <laughs> um, because in 1991, just like right now, I had no job. And <laughs> I wanted to marry my high school girlfriend, and her father was a wonderful man, but a, a clergyman, and kind of a no-nonsense character. It's like, I actually no unemployed boy can marry my daughter, it's kind of a role. So, hastily got a job in journalism, and you know, 32 years later, I'm still here. 
So I, I didn't you know, pay super close attention to her civics class, but my understanding of democracy is it's a system, whether it's direct democracy as in Athens or representative democracy as in the United States in 2023, a system by which the government represents the will of people. Maybe not precisely. Maybe the people decide they want, you know, I don't know, free Twix bars. And the representative's like, let's slow down on the Twix bars. You know, but we're gonna give you instead, I don't know, some better option. We're gonna give you score bars or whatever. I mean, it's not precise, okay? The majority doesn't get to determine everything, but over time, what government does tracks pretty closely what the people want the government to do. That's called democracy. There's no other definition of democracy. So if you're wondering why you're living in a democracy and whether you personally are a threat to democracy, and if you're a decent American and someone says you're a threat to democracy, it probably hurts your feelings. You don't want to be a threat to democracy. You believe in democracy. So just ask yourself, who is closer to democratic ideals, you and the people accusing you of a crime, probably you. And that's what freaks me out. Again, what they're saying is precisely the opposite of what's true. It's not just a shade off, it's the mirror image. Yep. And that scares me, because that's sociopathic. Yep. I've thought a lot about lying, I'm really interested in lying, and why do people lie? Because it is so bad, it's so bad for me. And it's worse than a drug problem. I mean that, because it hollows you out inside and makes you weak. It divides you from other people and from God. It's just like, it's really a bad thing. We all engage in it, and it's totally wrong and perilous. So I'm interested in it, and the way that the lies are being told to us now is bewildering. So most people, when they lie, I have noticed, again, raising children, covering the news, they lie by degrees. So you get out of the kitchen in the morning, you had a box of Oreos, and they're all gone. <laughs> and you know that you didn't eat them. And your wife's probably not scarfing down the Oreos. So the kid's filing for breakfast, and the first one, who's got Oreo crumbs on his face, <laughs> you ask the obvious question. Did you eat the Oreos? And if you have a normal child, I'm sure you've all experienced this, the kid will be like, uh, uh, did you eat the Oreos? Yeah, I had two. <laughs> 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 you didn't have to do it all. <laughs> and you know that. The kid is not doing anything weird. The kid is doing maybe what you would do if you got caught in the Oreos. You're not going to fat. Who eats a whole box of Oreos? You're sick. Okay? So you're not going to admit that. They said a cup. What would happen to the rest? That's not the kind of lying we're seeing. What we're seeing is if your kids came down to with Oreos on his face, you said, Did you eat the Oreos? And he goes, No. You did. <laughs> right? If, if, if you had a kid who said that to you, the hair on your arms would go up and you would call the exorcist. Right? That is not a good sign. And then sort of smiled faintly, like the one else pressed carry? No. You ain't. <laughs> that's freaky. That's not, that's yep. not normal human behavior at all. No. And, and by the way, most people can't do that. That's the other thing. That's amazing. And I, I covered cops for a while as a reporter, I covered police, I was on the police, you know, covered a lot of cops. And because of my interest in this, I've talked about polygraphers, people who administer lie detector tests about lying. And if you talk to anybody who does this for a living, and cops are the best because that's, the, you know, they're the front line on lying, you know, they don't, 
They're not the judge, but they're the person who first makes the determination, is this human being I've apprehended guilty of something? And they're very good at detecting it. If you ask them, like what percentage of the population can just invert it, just make up something completely false when it's obviously true? And let's say like very few people can do that. Very few people can beat a lie detector test. You'd have to be a true psycho to do that. You'd have to have some sort of incredibly dark conscience or lack of a conscience. You'd have to be a sociopath to do that. Yep. And yet I see that everywhere. Yep. And I think the costs of this are much higher than we imagine. I think if you keep doing stuff like that, if you keep making everybody paranoid and crazy, if you undermine their belief in the core systems, and the core systems, of course, are the democratic process. Does your vote count? Do elections mean anything? Do they correlate at all with the kind of government you get? Does the government even listen to you? Does the government care about you? Is the government trying to hurt you? There's evidence that that's true. There is. I can't answer that. I don't know. Kind of seems like they are. You close the gym during COVID? Ah, what's it? Would you keep the strip clubs open? What's this? Tell me how that works. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm not attacking strip clubs, but like, you can't have a gym, but you can't have an abortion clinic. Really? Is that a sign of love? Do you really love me? You know, he could say he loves you, but if he's treating you like that, he doesn't love you. That's just true. The cost of that over time is just absolutely profound. It's profound. And you could wind up in a place you do not want to be. I don't think this is small time stuff, I think it's big time stuff. And so what can you do about it? And I'll end with this because I, well, I talk too much. No. no. Come on. You can, do two, you can do two things. No, you can do two, I, sorry, there's a reason I think you're going to talk to your host. You don't want to sit next to me on an airplane. And another thing! <laughs> I want to see pictures of my dogs. always <laughs> <laughs> goes, in a very, she's such a wonderful person, but she's, she's never criticized me, but she did say it in a very gentle way once. I don't, I don't think really people want to see pictures of your dogs. <laughs> I said, I, It's not just a theory, it's a reality. Some things are true and some things are false. 
And while we may never get to what is the deepest level of truth, we, we can move in that direction, and we can begin by telling the truth ourselves. You know, that's kind of what we can control is what we do. And, you know, they can impose lies on us. It doesn't mean we have to live them. You don't have to live a lie. You can be honest. It doesn't mean you need to be louder on some stupid cable news show. <laughs> but it does mean in your personal conduct and your relationships with others, telling the truth, sometimes very softly, sometimes simply refusing to lie. You know, there are... I would always tell my kids, you don't have to say everything that's true. <laughs> Sometimes maybe you shouldn't. You need to, as my co-host James Carville once said to me in a very, I thought, helpful way, he said, you know, I think it's important to appreciate the beauty of the unexpressed thought. <laughs> <laughs> and as I've aged, I've come to appreciate that one. <laughs> but not saying something, you know, while it's not the most courageous stand you could take, sometimes it's the right thing to do. But it's very different from participating in a lie. You know, they want you to lie. They not simply want to lie to you, they want to implicate you in the lie. They want you to repeat their catechism. They want you to agree that two plus two equals five. It's so important to them. That's ultimately what they want. Why do they want that? Because if you can get someone to say something he knows isn't true, you control them. Yep. Not just his body. You can control my body, and it's not hard. Come shoot me. Okay, wow, I'm impressed. You shot me. Okay, well, it takes a lot of talent. It doesn't. That's a blunt instrument. But to control someone's brain mm. and get him to say, you know, I really need to wear a mask inside my car alone to protect myself from that. It's very important. Come on. gets in his Subaru and just instinctively puts on a mask with the windows up, <laughs> then you've won. You've won. You don't need to monitor or control that person because you control him from afar because you control his brain. You defeated him. He's no longer a man, actually. He's a slave. That's true. That's right. And the enslavement of people, taking away their choice and in so doing their dignity, really their humanity, that is the goal. Obviously. It's like this massive game of Simon Says. Stand on one foot, hop around, and quack like a duck. Dr. Fauci commands, okay, okay, I love you, Dr. Fauci. Okay, get on all fours and oink like a pig. It's very important. The science demands, okay. At that point, okay, I don't need guns to control you. I just snap my fingers. I just snap my fingers, and you're like on the ground trying to be like a porcupine. How do you make a porcupine? <laughs> Not participating in that is essential, both for spiritual reasons that will corrupt you, allowing yourself to repeat something that you know in your heart is not true will corrupt you. Amen. Amen. Satan. Powers larger than himself, but and so I, I don't want to single out one guy because it's not just one guy. Actually, there's like a lot going on here, but I don't fully understand. I'm just watching right from the sidelines. But 
um, you don't want to participate in that in any way. Right. Because it robs you of the only thing that matters, which is your humanity, your God-given humanity, and it makes you something less than human. Yep. And it corrupts you as surely as fentanyl or hookers and make worse. And I mean it. Yep. Yep. It's one thing to to you know defile your body. It's nothing to hand over your soul to people with malintent. Don't ever do that. Right. Ever. So um, being honest in your personal life and seeking out information that you believe to be true, actually true, not just information that you know inflames your passions, but that speaks to you as a human being. It doesn't patronize you or feed you slogans or repeat stupid bumper stickers or whatever, but actually tries to engage you as an adult with reason. Do you know what I mean? Like finding information um, that's real, or that seems real, as best you can ascertain, is really, really important. And there are so few places to find it, but they exist because the internet's a big place, and it's, I would not be intimidated in searching that out. And you'll notice that the gatekeepers, the people who have the media monopolies, and it's a smaller number every year, at least it's Google, Facebook, and a few others, NBC News, um, well, really, there aren't that many media companies. You know, when I worked at the newspaper in Little Rock, Arkansas, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the statewide daily, the United State, um, that was a big deal to work at that paper. And it was a completely invented voice. It was owned by a family, wonderful people, the husbands, and that was real. It was a real paper. People read it. You know, it had some squat in the state. It represented Arkansas. We covered Arkansas. If you know what Arkansas, you probably want to read it. That's all gone now. And it's a relatively small number of companies that control almost, almost all of the information. Mm. You notice that their incentive, both for commercial and other reasons, is to dissuade you from ever looking elsewhere for information. Oh, that's conspiracy stuff. You're a conspiracy. You're a crazy person. Probably a QAnon. Call the DOJ. <laughs> Don't let them intimidate you. I mean, of course, there's tons of wacko stuff on the internet. A lot of it's read at CNN.com, you know? <laughs> but don't let them make you feel like you're a bad person because you want a second source. If you went to the doctor and he's like, unfortunately, you have inoperable pancreatic cancer, and you're like, wow, it's kind of a heavy, you know, kind of a heavy diagnosis. Maybe I don't want to just get a second opinion just because, like, what? What are you, a freak? You want to get a second opinion? Get out of here, weirdo! I'm calling the cops. What's wrong with what's wrong with asking another doctor to confirm your shut up? That would not instill faith in that doctor, would it? Don't look elsewhere. I have the truth, and if you don't believe it, you're a criminal. Whoa! I actually don't even think they do that in North Korea. No, I've been there. It's a Stalinist state. You would not want to live in North Korea. Of course, I'm not defending the regime, the Kim regime in North Korea. But I will say one thing that does make them a little easier to deal with than Western systems is there's a lot less self-righteousness in a Stalinist state. You step up on this YouTube, you kind of know the rules. <laughs> that's bad. I'm not in any way endorsing it, and I'm not saying that's that's better than America. It's not. We're not executed for views at this point, so I'm grateful for that. At this point. But, but I have to say, again, as an adult man who pays his taxes every quarter, I don't really want a moral lecture from a moral pygmy at this point. It's dumb. Amen. 
actually, I don't even, I never really pay attention to taxes, but I mean, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not private equity, like, I pay full load, like most people here, like, whenever the rate is, it's pretty high, it's like the majority of my income, I think, and that's fine, I'm not mad about it, but, a little mad, not that mad, honestly. <laughs> I would be willing to pay more. You can tack on an extra 10% if you would just up lecture week. Amen. Just for a second. You get on a commercial airliner, first you walk down the jet bridge, and all the propaganda posters on the, you know, on the, on the jet bridge? There's not a single poster that's not ramming some political ideology down your throat. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> then you get on the plane, and they're like, trying to sell you some stupid credit card. And really gonna buy an American Airlines credit card? You don't even take off on time, I don't think so, okay? <laughs> and then, they throw in some, some other thing, like their commitment to this or that, what? Just fly the plane. I'm stuck right. in this aluminum tube and you're lecturing me? Are you joking? You don't serve meals anymore. You don't serve peanuts anymore. <laughs> you're giving me a moral lecture? Like, who puts you in the pulpit? Amen. Hush. Fly the plane. And then the federal government's just like a never-ending lecture. Like, oh, well, you know, you're just, uh, we're a little disappointed in you. But you're my dad. Leave me alone. And I have to say, for all its sort of downsides, like concentration camps and starvation, they don't do that in North Korea. I don't think they feel the need to, like, lecture you. There's something very dehumanizing about being lectured. Very dehumanizing. I never lectured my kids when they were little. They can just don't not respect you now. I don't bore you with some lecture about how you're, like, evil or something. You don't know what you can expect. Don't do it again. Okay, pretty straightforward, right? I just spent an hour being like, well, I'm very disappointed in you. Your mother and I had very high hopes for you, but you've dashed them. You'll never live up to our moral standards. You're disgusting. <laughs> you know, I'm not virtuous enough to lecture people like that. I'm just being honest. I'm not. I'm not a good enough person to give that lecture to anyone, including my children. Or my dogs. You choose the pillow. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> Smack on the bucket, get out of here. And so the idea that like the worst people in the world, like the Apple Corporation or some private equity guys, like, oh, I'm really disappointed, you're racist. What? Are you joking? It's not enough to do like run some seedy business that's not making America better at all. You have to lecture me too? That's like not part of the deal. So I think it's important to just keep your wits about you and realize you're not the bad person in this scenario. This really is like some super twisted alcoholic relationship where your spouse comes home drunk and hits you and then you feel guilty because you didn't make dinner right or something. No, no, that's codependence. Yeah. And the second answer to all of this, and I will stop on this. I know, it's a promise is promises. The second answer is, you know, to think about how do you make it better. And I think about that a lot just because I was born in this country and I have a big family and I really love this country, its people and its landscape. People say, what, do you, what do you love about America? Well, I like the people. And I do. Stop at a gas station. Most people are really nice, actually. And it's the prettiest country I've been to all over the world. Many, many, many countries, dozens of scores of countries, and this is the prettiest by far. It's unbelievable. I saw it today in your stage. Again, I just want to say I mean it. I really think it's beautiful. And, so, and I'm not 
some hyper patriot former Navy SEAL or anything, but I'm like a sincere lover of the country and I wanted to get better. And like, how do you, in how do all of us in our small incremental ways make it better? Well, Tucker for president. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. Can't even see you, I didn't mean to call you that, but it was good luck. <laughs> so, how do we make it better? And I do think it's important to be politically engaged, I guess. Don't really think that, but I think you're required to say that now. Um, if you believe in democracy. Uh, no, of course, it's important to vote your conscience. You know, I decided many years ago, my wife and I decided, you know, we're pro life. And that's just kind of where, you know, everyone gets to shoot it. It's not a popular position where I live, but, and I'm not like evangelizing on the topic. It makes me so uncomfortable. I can barely talk about it. But we just decided in our way, um, you know, we don't want a crisis pregnancy center, but just like as voters, we're like, we're not voting for anyone who doesn't share our views on that because it's a real, it's a real thing for us. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And I, I, I would recommend that, you know, just think through what really matters to me. And you're never gonna find a politician who matches your views exactly unless it's you, right? You're, you're always gonna be compromises. You know, I, I like the guy, he's pretty orange, but whatever. You know, whatever, you know? And, well, whoever, whoever it is, not whatever topics, but like, uh, it has, I think it's a, a rational way to feel good about political participation to decide what really matters to you and, and maybe there's a couple topics or whatever. In my case, we just narrowed it down to one because it's easy and more forgetful, but um, maybe there are others, probably are. Uh, but in the end, is your vote in a country this big gonna like, change everything? And probably not. Um, doesn't mean you shouldn't cast the vote, but it doesn't mean you should be tempered in your expectations of its effect. So I would say just the obvious. Try to help actual people. And that's why I came tonight. I, and I was a little bit more, I was blown away actually. I didn't expect to be as impressed as I was. I'm really impressed by what Rainbow Meg is doing. But, and, but there are others who are doing that. And you can do it too. I mean, that's a very kind of big and impressive operation. But I have, this is, I can't even tell you this, but I just love this. I have this friend, um, one of my colleagues, college roommates, who's just a wonderful person. And, very, very good at business, and was gotten super rich in a way that I'm like, wow, oh, you was rich. You were drunk all the time, you're rich. Uh, <laughs> and the answer is, that's oh, true. And the answer is, he's just really smart and super hardworking, and he's not drinking and all that. So, um, but he's enormously thoughtful. He's a very thoughtful, decent person who cares about his family above all. And the kind, exactly the kind of person you want to see become successful. And when we were talking, we sent our children to the same school at one point, and I said, you know, I think this work is compelling to a word before we, we fled in terror. And um, we said at this school school, and so it went kind of completely crazy, like truly crazy. What? Just like full on devil worship in the school. And I was like, wow, this is really dark. And we've always felt kids go to school, you should give money to the school. And he said, you know, I'm out. They don't share my values, and I'm not doing that. And I said, and he's a big charity guy, he's a tithe. And 10% of his income is a lot. And I said, well, what are you going to do with the money? He said, I'm going to give it to waiters. 
Wow. Peters, he said, yeah. Uh, and he's good at math. He's like, I give whatever. Uh, I give a hundred bucks a year to charity, let's say, many zeros on that. And uh, and then I write it off. But is it? I don't really need to write it off. I mean, am I giving money to write it off? Is that the point of charity to get a tax break? No. And I'm going to give it to waiters. I'm going to give the whole thing to waiters. Wow. I need out, you know, whatever, 112 times a year. I kind of figured out. I got my calendar out, and I'm going to divide that amount by 112, and I'm going to give each waiter like eight thousand dollars. That's what I do. Whoa! I was like, for real? He said, yeah. Because I want to help a person. And if you give that to an institution, and there are some institutions that deserve it, like the one whose behalf I'm speaking tonight, but if this institution doesn't share your values and you're just reflexively giving it, then you're not helping, actually. If you give to Ray Mobega, you can like drive out there and see like how are the beneficiaries of this doing? We'll meet them on the road, and their faces are beaming with joy. Wow, you know, an actual person is being elevated by my gift. But if you don't have that outlet, or you don't know the charity that you trust, then I can think of a lot worse ways to spend your money than giving it to a flesh and blood person who is working his hardest for low pay. If you help a person like that, I mean, maybe they'll go spend it all in malt liquor. I mean, you can't be sure. But if someone's showing up at work every day to, you know, to clear your plates, pretty good chance that person is trying really, really hard. Yep. And I think we want to reward that. I do. Yep. I do. I mean, there's an awful lot of emphasis on helping people who are making no effort at all to help themselves, and in fact, who are taking. Right. And, you know, you can make a case. Again, I'm not a theologian. I'm not going to weigh in on whether that's good or bad or whatever. But there's almost no emphasis at all on helping people who are sincerely trying and kind of not making it. Sort of almost there, but not better. Who are accumulating a little more credit card debt every month. I've actually been one of those people for a period of time. I'm not sure if everyone in this room has had that feeling. Like, wow, we actually don't have enough money. Should I tell my wife? She'll cry. <laughs> no, I'm laughing. It's not funny, but everyone's been there. Why not give someone like that? In other words, whether it's your charitable contributions, the checks that you write, or the services that you perform, the deeds that you do, knowing that there is a flesh and blood human being in need whose life is being tangibly improved by what you do, that's what charity actually is. Amen. I personally think that ought to be the role of the federal government. They ought to think that way. How do I help my people? 105,000 out of fentanyl of these last year. How do we fix it? I'm not sure, but ignoring it is not the first step. It's not. But they do. So the government, I, you know, I don't know what the problems are exactly, despite watching them for a living. I'm not exactly sure how we can fix them, but I know that we can help each other. We don't need to wait for an election to do that. You all proved it and what you're doing. We can do it now. And I think doing it is a reward if you want to save the country. Love each other. Thank you.